0: you're listening to philly who the podcast that tells the stories of the doers thinkers and performers of philadelphia my name is kevin Schmidlin, and today i'm speaking with social equity thought leader erica atwood Erica played a key role in the campaign to elect Michael Nutter as mayor, and she would later serve as the Director of Blackmail Engagement for the City of Philadelphia during his administration. Since then, Erica has been involved in Cities United, a national movement to eliminate inner-city violence, and she spent time as the Interim Executive Director of the Philadelphia Police Advisory Commission. Today, she's the CEO of First Degree Consulting, LLC, which advises governments, nonprofits and schools on how to create more equitable communities.
1: It's not always about telling someone they're right or wrong. It is about often making someone think a little bit differently about the position they take.
0: You'll hear about the lives touched by Erica's work and how she's been moved to be a part of their story.
1: He reminded me of that in that moment to say, I probably wouldn't be here if you hadn't told Brandon to take me everywhere so I could see something different. And so I wouldn't fall back into the traps that I'd been in since I was 12.
0: And we'll talk about the ways we can all work to bring about social equity and how we should all make an effort to expand our perspective.
1: We get really comfortable in our lane and it gets really easy just to go this day to day and not realize I've spent the last three weeks in rooms with only people that look like me
0: all this and more about Erica Atwood her mission to bring community wherever she goes and what it all means for Philadelphia right now here on Philly Who I'm your host Kevin Schmidlin and stay tuned Erica Atwood was born and raised in an extremely supportive community right across the river in Camden, New Jersey. And though she would attend Howard University and go on to receive a graphic design degree, she knew from a young age that her destiny was in serving communities and driving forward social justice.
1: It's really interesting because at 17, I would have told you I want to be a juvenile defense attorney. And I wanted to do something involved very much aligned with what I do now, um, just in a different path. I wanted to do um, social justice work before it had a name. Um, Both of my parents were active in the NAACP. In the 60s and the 70s, the YMCA was pretty much the almost a country club for blacks in Camden, um, if that makes any sense. But it was a place where uh, YMCA is a place where we've always been allowed. Um, And so it was a gathering place and meeting place. Uh, So I understood our history. I understood civil rights. I understood segregation. I understood racism at a very young age. I knew kids who went to jail. Like, I knew my friend's brothers went to jail. Like, there was a thing that was happening that was around that needed to be fixed, and I just, that was the only path that I saw. Like, I understood who Thurgood Marshall was. I understood that there was some injustices happening, and how do I do that? So that, at 17, it was like, That was what I was good at. Um, So like, while I was fumbling around at 18, 19, 20, I had a very much (laughs) more acute understanding of who I wanted to be when I was 17, which is really funny.
0: Right, so did you, at that time, actually go for that type of thing? Oh, no. Why not?
1: Being rebellious, I think. I think it was um, fear of failure. Um, well, not my first time away from home, my first time on my own. So I went to boarding school for high school. It, it was the, the the idea was go through sociology program, become a social worker, go to law school and then do the, the, the law school thing. Um, I just found sociology at 18 extremely uh torturous and mundane right um now i'm just like oh that's what they were trying to teach me now i understand now i'm ready um it's interesting because i would say if gap year was a thing i would i should have taken a gap year as a kid if that was a thing yeah um, then
0: well it sounds like you still sort of you still wound up on the trajectory that you Like you said, you knew you wanted to be on at 17.
1: Right. Because you can make plans. You can make all the plans in the world. But if you your destiny and your purpose, is your purpose. Yep. And you're going to end up there whether or not, um, no matter what route you try and take.
0: (laughs) So when did you then get involved in the Nutter campaign?
1: Um, It was really interesting. Kind of our first real conversation was he had pulled, I guess, a focus group together of folks to talk about. I can't remember what policy it is now, but there might have been 10 of us in the room. I took a friend with me, and we were all college educated. Um, we were all at ha- some level of privilege in the room, either based on our where we came from or what we had built for ourselves. And I remember having this conversation around whatever the policy was, I get it, I support it, but how do we explain it to someone who didn't come out of Penn or who didn't come out of Howard? And how do we not make decisions for people but with people? And that was kind of our very first conversation, and that had been the basis of our relationship yeah,
0: so for the years. How did, how did how did how did he respond to that? To you bringing up those points,
1: he thought it was a real like he was really open and receptive, and he asked me questions. And his openness it, it was what I found so striking. Like not the exact words I I couldn't remember if I tried sure, but just how receptive he was to the conversation, which made me open up more and, and want to be supportive of wherever he was going to go.
0: So you build this relationship with Michael Nutter and then he declares that he's running for mayor.
1: Yeah. So at the time I was working, um, so this is years later, at the time I was working at a financial firm and I had still been volunteering here and there for the campaign. Um, and I'd been asked to come on, um, kind of casually asked to come on. I said no. And you just kind of have this kind of sneaking, kind of deep sinking feeling like it wouldn't go away, like the the question wouldn't go away. And so, talked it over with some friends, um, and went back and saw whether or not the opportunity was still open. And I became his, it was, and I became his deputy finance director uh, for the campaign. So I handled all of his fundraising events and all the outreach, uh, community outreach that directly related to um, fundraising. Yeah, what was the hesitation? Uh, It was unsure, Uh, I had a good job, I had a good boss, I was making decent money. Um, at the time, he had just declared, and he was fifth place in a five-way race, where he was the only one declared. Wow! Uh, so it was—it was a risk. It was a huge risk. Uh, and culturally, like we tend to be risk adverse. Like yep. th- that's not a—it wasn't a sure win um, at by a long shot at that point in time. Um, there was a lot of criticism that I got from other people in the African-American community about supporting him and not some of the other candidates that were sought to be, the, sh- or at least two of the other candidates who were sought to be kind of a shoe in um, So that was, it was, I was taking a huge risk.
0: Right. You were betting on the underdog.
1: Yeah. And I won.
0: Well, yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, the difference here, you know, between that and just straight up betting on the underdog is that you actually participate in the race. You have a direct impact on you know on the running and and, and on the victory. So let's talk about that. You know, you decide to join. Yeah. Then what do you do? What do they say, hey here's your job?
1: I mean it's it's day in, day out going to talk to people and collect checks. Like Um, All types of different people. I got to go all over Philadelphia. Um, uh, I saw neighborhoods and things that I had not seen before. Um, I didn't grow up here, uh, so I would come here and visit for holidays. But being able to see um, Philadelphia in its true beauty as a patchwork quilt was really interesting to see. Um, Because you see, in political campaigns, um, I would honestly say that you see people at their truest um, in in whether or not they show it to you on purpose or not. Uh, so that was one of the things that kind of just going from event to event, from campaign stop to campaign stop to coordinating um, random uh, trolley tours around the city to meet and greet folks. Uh, that was the type of work that I did on the campaign.
0: You, through campaigning, you know, got a chance to see people at their truest.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What's an example of someone being their truest with you?
1: They're the North Philly Stompers. There's this beautiful, wonderful spirit, um, Miss Helen, um, who is kind of an elder in the community. I think I'm getting her name right. I think it's Miss Helen, but I remember her face. And I remember going to visit her and getting almost her permission for us to come into the neighborhood. She was a gatekeeper in a good way in the sense of, you can only come here if you intend to do no harm. And in in talking to her, and sitting in her house, and just having a conversation with her, and taking that time, and then coming back to that community um, for a block party. Because essentially, we are asking permission to come back and bring the, the candidate back. And coming back, and bringing him back, and hanging out in the neighborhood, and, and it was interesting because you, you hear mutterings on the street. Well, when he get here, I don't know. I'm not messing with him. Like, And so you get all of that. And then when he gets there, you see folks pull out their camera phones. You see folks come and hug him. But you also see him open up in a way people didn't think was possible because he comes across one way on a screen and in an interview. But when you get him kind of one-on-one, you see how open and how, how loving he can be to each and every individual that comes and approaches him, how open he is. Again, while I why I supported him in the first place, how open he is to listen, how open he is to people. And that was a part that I really loved about, or that behind the veil moment um, and spending that time at that black party in North Philly.
0: So Mayor Nutter gets elected. Yep. He invites you to be a part of his administration.
1: Yeah. One of the things that has always been important to me, like even though I was doing the fun stuff, even though I was doing the ceremonial stuff, there was always in um, a current or an undercurrent of social justice work um, uh, or giving back or civic engagement. It always done that. And so out of college, even while I was working, I was teaching art classes at an after school program. I got the opportunity to go to the Urban League conference when it was here in the, the late 90s. And so from there I joined Urban League Young Professionals. So I was always volunteering, always giving back, always doing something. And so even while I was doing all this great stuff kind of in the the, the the, the arc of what you see, there were still the roots of kind of civic engagement that existed for yeah. me. And so when I got into the city rep's office, it was aligned with the arc and what everybody saw, but it wasn't as aligned with the roots and the core and where I come from and what was important to me. And so spent two years there, um, got to do some amazing things there. So that was the, I was there the year the Phillies won the World Series. Oh. So got to work on the the World Series Parade, um, got to do even a parade for um, some young people who had won the Pop Warner League nationally. Oh, wow. And so the North Philly Blackhawks got to do the parade for them, which was um, which was more enjoyable for me <laughs> than,
0: than the Phillies Parade. Than the Police parade was pretty intense.
1: It was, yeah, that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that to was a whole least. thing. <laughs> to say the least. Um, no regrets, but yeah. it was a thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so like, and and it, it's it goes back to something we were talking about earlier around um the masses versus the individual. And I say that I enjoyed while the whole city won. When um, when the Phillies won, you saw everybody coming out um, to see what it felt like for those young um, those young boys and those in uh, the, the young women who were on the cheerleading squad to be on these buses going into their neighborhood to be celebrated to have a brass band to have the Eagles come out and support them like to see that happen and to see the pride that they took in their winning still means a lot like I remember even the mayor sending those of us who worked on it myself um Jordan Schwartz and Tumar Alexander like we all worked on this together and the mayor sending us a little note and like I that's the one of the notes that I it's some probably somewhere in a box still that I printed out and like just saying thank you today was great like that's essentially what the note said but that meant a lot and you don't know um what those moments mean to people and how it may tra- be a trajectory point for them to something great.
0: Right. Because the Phillies know that Philly's behind them. But yeah. when these kids see all these people coming to see them on the bus, yeah, they can see their city, that that they have their back. Wow. So you, uh, you serve as a representative of the city. And the city representative, is that what you said?
1: City representative. Yep. I was deputy city representative. Deputy
0: yep. city re- and then... Your role then evolved and then you became the director of black male engagement. Mm-hmm. So again, you mentioned that it was more of an undertow, this sort of focus. Was there a time when you said, you know what, it's time for this to be my professional focus? Or was it wh- another one of those things where you just kind of woke up one day and you're like, oh my gosh, here I am.
1: That was, I mean, I had I had known it for a while. And that was part of the reason why I moved over to the mayor's office. That was one of the things that I asked for, Um, I can't remember. No, it had to be Clay. Uh, Clay Armbruster was chief of staff at the time and just kind of asking um, for something different, something more. Um, That There was a gap there within the mayor's office in terms of who, is really handling that outreach, who's really kind of the face or the voice of the community kind of inside City Hall, who's opening the door. And that's one of the things that was part of my job too, is like, it's not only going out and taking us out, it's inviting people in. And so I would do um, working on our violence reduction efforts Um, we would focus we were focusing on the 22nd police district so I held a dinner with all the community leaders that we could identify from the 22nd police district to just talk to them about what our plan was and get their support because you need trusted messengers on the ground you can't make decisions for community without talking to them and without them kind of giving you the okay again back to sitting in Miss Helen's living room it's like I can't come in your hood and tell you what I'm supposed to do if I'm unwilling to talk to you. And so that's always been a tenant of, um, how I operate. Um, and it still is. It's absolutely like, I'm not going to make decisions and no one should feel comfortable making decisions for communities without having a conversation with them. Yeah.
0: So in your time as the director of black male engagement, was there anything that stands out to you were you particularly removed by the impact of, of the work you were doing?
1: Um, funny. It, it's actually something that happened recently. Okay. Um, post being in uh, city government. Um, I live in West Philly, um, University City. Um, and I live on this really small block, um, like Philly does have, um, where... There was some construction work going on on the uh, in a house across the street from me. And I'm leaving to go meet someone for lunch. Um, I guess this was this had to be this year. It was the beginning of this year. And I turn my corner, and there's this guy covered in dust, because you can tell they're doing a clean-out. So he's covered in dust. I can't see his face. He's got, like, one of those... Um, protection um mouth face mask on the top of his goggles like so in again covered in dust can't see his face at all. He's like Miss Erica oh hello hi sweetie how are you? I have no idea who this is. I cannot see nothing so I'm like he, he wipes the dust off his face. He gets closer. I'm like oh, Jamal and it is this kid who used to work for um Cure Violence I'd met him when he was maybe 24, so he has to be maybe 28 now, and he had spent, since the age of 12 to the time that I met him, in and out of detention. Uh, And I saw something in him, like you just see that, you see a hunger in young people sometimes like regardless of the trajectory the path all the stuff that they've been through you can absolutely see a light if you're willing to look if you're willing to see their humanity you can see a light in them and I saw a light in Jamal and I said to um my street worker Brandon that he was with I was like take him everywhere like if I see you I need to see him like no questions asked like make sure he's with you at all times I don't remember saying this at all um, and he re- he reminded me of that in that moment at the corner of my block to say I probably wouldn't be here if you hadn't told, told Brandon to take me everywhere so I could see something different and so I wouldn't fall back into the traps that had been in since I was 12.
0: How did you feel when he told you that?
1: Um, I damn near cried my entire walk to my lunch. Um, I sat with the person I was having lunch with and told her the story. Um, I'm like even getting misty here thinking about it because it's um, it's seeing people. It's all about seeing someone and not looking through them and not looking past them. And I often feel like this work, um, the, when I say this work, I mean work in government. Um, we often don't, we're getting to a point where it's becoming popular, it's becoming something people do. Um, and it's not necessarily driven always, it feels like by passion and by purpose. And when you just want to be director of this and um, specialist of that or elected to the other and you you lose sight of the people that you truly are there to serve, then something is missing. And I, I just hope we can get back to or get to, in the first place, the altruism that should come with public service.
0: What advice would you have for somebody who's just getting into public service?
1: Spend time with people like that's it like go to community meetings, um, volunteer in in the neighborhood you serve. I remember um, when we started the campaign and I mean, I'm friends with some of these folks still to the day, but a lot of them hadn't seen some of the most vulnerable neighborhoods in Philadelphia. And I'm like, you can't tell me what's going to work in this neighborhood if you haven't seen it. Like, just take a day drive. Like just drive by and see what the, daily, what the daily life looks like for folks. That's it. Good, bad, and different. Like, just see it.
0: So now you're back to being full-time in your consulting firm. Yes. Um, what so far uh, is, is the major difference for you? Because it's, you know, you're still doing social justice work. What's the major difference, you know, working as a representative of the city and now sort of working more independently?
1: I thought you were going to go another way with that, but I'll, I'll take the high road. Uh,
0: (laughs) I mean, I'm intrigued.
1: (laughs) I was like, Oh, the major difference is that sometimes I get to work in my pajamas. Oh Yeah. Uh,
0: (laughs) Yeah, That I got to imagine. That's nice. (laughs) nice, nice. um,
1: um, So the, so it's about an inside outside game. Um, And so public service for me is about, breaking a system that doesn't work, or making a system that, that could work more efficient. And you can do that by getting into the mechanism and removing cogs and replacing them and cleaning stuff out and from the inside of a, of, of a mechanism. And then sometimes from the outside, you can say, all right, well, I understand now how it works on the outside. Now let me do the stuff on the outside that'll make it go and make it work better.
0: So what, what types of, th- so are there certain types of things that almost have to be done from the outside? Or is it just a difference of how you do the same things?
1: Hmm, I think it's both end. It's actually both end. Sometimes working inside can be your best education. And so understanding how policies are made, understanding how they're put into practice, there will be some folks that tell you policies don't work. I don't agree. I think policies absolutely do work if they're the right frickin' policies. And you get to, to one, um, write, make, decide on, remove the right things from policies on the inside. You get to advocate for, yell about, research, study on the outside.
0: Bad policies don't work.
1: Bad policies don't work. Bad people making good policy don't work.
0: So with issues like these, a lot of people, for whatever reason, make a decision on how they feel and that that's it. They don't seem to really have a very open mind or want to learn or hear from anybody else. How do you approach that? Listen, listen to them.
1: Yeah. Listen. Uh, and so I've said I do a lot of traveling for consulting. Like I'm on a plane tomorrow morning at 8am to LA. Like you meet a lot of people and you meet a lot of people who don't understand who I am because they never had an intimate conversation with a person of color before. Um, you meet a lot of people who have never seen an urban area. Um, So this is the best example I can say for this. And so I've sat at bars and (laughs) you can tell a person who's willing to listen and be heard based on when I tell them what I do, whether or not they shut down. If I say, "I say, what do you do? Said, I'm a consultant. What do you consult on? I consult on race and equity issues. Shut down, open up you know most people open up oh most people will say oh well what is what does that mean what does that entail tell me about that so I'll tell them a little I'll tell them about a project that I work on and so then you start to get folks talking about opinions or um, we'll talk about something because there's always CNN or MSNBC or Fox New's or something on in an airport so we'll talk about what's on the, the whatever the story is whatever 45 has said like it's we're, we're gonna discuss that and i listen and then i ask questions and so it's not always about telling someone they're right or wrong it is about often making someone think a little bit differently about the position they take and if you ask them the right questions you'll get to you'll get them to open up and think a little differently
0: at the time of this recording Um, Philadelphia is coming off a bit of a time in the national spotlight when there was an incident at a Starbucks nearby. Um, you were quoted in an article, uh, regarding that incident as saying, Philly is superficially progressive. We want to be better, but we are unwilling as a community to do the tough work in reconciliation of our past. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, can you talk about that more? What is, what is the tough work that we have to do?
1: So we have to, one, um, talk about race, racism, mm-hmm. all of our isms, uh, classism, because race, race and class, particularly in the city, in the way that it is developing, are very much intertwined. Uh, and we are a predominantly African-American city. We are a majority people of color city, and we are the poorest major city in the country. That is not by fault of the people who are burdened with poverty. We have to talk about the systems by which allowed them to get there. Part of that conversation is happening with cash bail now because that is a hole that is dug deep. We have to talk about just justice reform by and large we have to talk about um, education reform um, enormously. Like if folks are moving to into the city, um, if you and I move weren't here and we moved here because of a job, we had kids, where would you put your kids in school? And so in thinking about the public school system and you look at um, The magnet schools that exist and some of the amazing work that has been done in some of these other um, some of the other schools. You look at Chris Lehman's work with SLA, like there are amazing reforms that are happening, but they're happening episodically or they're happening at a slow pace that they can't serve all of the youth that are happening or they're not getting the support they need, be it financial or other resources or infrastructure resources that they need. And so we have to begin to address that pipeline to failure. It's not a pipe. It's not just a pipeline to prison. It's a pipeline to failure that we have to stop. Gay right now, and if we're unwilling to talk about the systems that we work for, support, and and, and make real reform in, then we're not gonna. We're gonna keep doing this merry-go-round that digs into the ground that continues to bury us
0: for someone who comes from a place of privilege does not have the perspective of folks that are in this pipeline of failure but is but wants to help it can be very overwhelming and intimidating to step into the conversation for fear of just saying the wrong thing or you know not at first approaching these problems in the right way do you have any advice
1: i think for someone who has never been directly impacted by the negative indicators that a lot of the vulnerable communities in which Philadelphia um, faces. I think the best thing you can do, one, is learn. Two, listen. Three, it's okay to be wrong. You don't have to do everything with perfection. Um, Don't be afraid. Of, of not only the issue, but of the people. Uh, you can't be everybody's best friend, you don't need to be everybody's best friend, but just take a step back and just see what's happening and see even how you may contribute in a negative way. Um, I work with, oh, I figure out how to say this without telling on people. Um, I've been in meetings where, um, the only straight white with privilege male does all the talking. Shut up. Like, and listen, that's a start. One of the things that I continue to do that continues to grow me as an individual is I read and I listen to podcasts like this one. um, And I do stuff um, every day that, that, opens me up to something different that um, I may not have seen before, I may not have been exposed to before. And I think when you are in, and this goes to anyone of any race who has a level of privilege that comes with wealth and and education um, and or education, it's we get really comfortable in our lanes and it gets really easy to put on blinders. and just to go this day to day and not realize I'm, I've am i spent the last three weeks in rooms with only people that look like me. And I think that's part of it. If, if there have been so many times where I've been the one and the only in a room, either the only woman or the only person of color, um, and that in and of itself is stressful and violent. Um, but imagine that a world where, or even a community where, you can have diversity in its truest sense, and inclusion in its truest sense, and seek spaces where you're not, where you're not a monolith. Seek spaces where um, you can learn from others, and and be around folks just by observing and just being comfortable, find out where there are different communities. Might be having dinner in West Philly once a month or someplace, like just be someplace different that is out of your routine that exposes you to new and different people.
0: Yeah, so I have a few questions that I ask all of my guests. Okay. And so we've probably already touched upon this, but what is the biggest challenge facing Philadelphia today?
1: I think it's our poverty rate. I think it is, I think it is uh, creating viable, sustaining, purpose-filled opportunities for all people. Uh, I I think our language is moving away from, and our, I mean, kind of the sector of folks that are working in reform and social justice, our language is moving, I I, I think, um, away from getting people jobs. Um, it's great to have a job, but what happens when a person has a career, um, how do we support young entrepreneurs or folks getting a first chance, not even a second chance, a first chance on life, um, and starting out a business and becoming, becoming what they were intended to be. Um, it's great that Starbucks wants to give people a hundred thousand jobs, but how do they end up in the corporate boardroom?
0: So on the flip side, what's the most encouraging thing you see in Philadelphia today?
1: Our advocacy community. Um, There are some really strong and even young voices that are really um, pushing and advocating for change. Um, Even in philanthropy, like you have... Um, The Philadelphia Student Union You have Helen and City Council You have Bread and Roses Foundation um, You have Leeway Foundation You have um, Black Lives Matter Philly um, You have a lot of Really great um, Organizations that are on the ground Doing good work um, That are focused on Justice and equity that are upending kind of systems that have been in place or, or or at least exposing things that have been in place that have done harm or providing opportunities to those who could do good.
0: For more on Erica, you can head over to podfillyhoo.com forward slash Atwood. That's A-T-W-O-O-D. You can follow Erica on Twitter and Instagram at Erica in Philly and her consulting firm is located at firstdegreellc.com. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating. If you have any feedback or ideas for the show, you can hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at pod or you can email pod at gmail.com. Music by Lee Rosevere. Podcast art by Lauren Carhart. Special thanks to Erica for being a guest on the show. For Pod Philly Who, my name is Kevin Schmidlin. See you next week.